0: It when we praise the Lord. Could we just do it one more time all across the house? We exalt you today. We worship your name. We glorify your name. We bless you today. Amen, 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 amen. Before you're seated, uh, smile at your neighbor and say, Pastor's preaching on mental health. That means this service is for you. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. So let me start out by uh, saying that um, I am going to be doing for the next few Sundays that I preach, I will miss one Sunday, but uh, for the next few Sundays I preach, I'm going to be talking about a biblical approach to mental health, a biblical approach to mental health. And our theme scripture is going to be 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 7. For God did not give us a spirit of fear. Can I have a better amen than that? But of power and of love and a sound mind. This is where you tell yourself you probably should not be as crazy as you've been feeling. Because the Lord is here to give you a spirit of power of love, and a sound mind. So I want to to start out first by confessing that um, talking about mental health in a church context uh, can be difficult because the church and the larger Christian community has this difficult relationship with mental health. On one hand, uh, we don't know if it's okay because we suspect if we had the real Holy Spirit, that we wouldn't have problems. Um, We suspect that if we went to the real church, we wouldn't have problems. We suspect that if we could just shout loud enough on Sunday, we wouldn't have sleepless nights on Monday. Uh, And yet life, uh, life is uh, a good bit more difficult than uh, some of our plans. And we find ourselves facing things we did not expect to face. Uh, We find ourselves dealing with difficulties that we did not see that coming. So let's do a quick survey. How many of you have ever dealt with a situation that you just did not see coming in any manner whatsoever? It was completely out of the blue. I did not see that coming. Uh, And circumstances like that, they quickly uh, bring you to a sense of the end of yourself. Y'all we're about to have revival in here. We got James on the front row. Oh my God. Somebody say maha. This I say maha. This I say come on. James on the front row, y'all. We're about to break it down in here. James is doing a great job shepherding our music ministry here at First Church. And uh, we're so thankful for him. And I'll speak for everybody. We see you. (laughs) You're doing a great work. Um, uh, Back to the subject of mental health. This is why James is on the front row, and um, his wife is here supporting him. And we're very thankful about that. It's it's very difficult for us church people because um, uh, you know uh, if if we were if we were real Christians, this wouldn't be a problem. We suspect. Um, and we secretly believe that real Christians don't struggle with issues of mental, uh, mental health. Um, and yet, much to our surprise, the Bible does not shy away from mental health. And the Bible does not pretend it doesn't exist. It just uses different language. We think of mental health in terms of modern medical language. The Bible doesn't use that language. The Bible uses the language of emotions in the human experience. But it is the same thing, it is the same brew. That is being stirred in your in your life. One cannot read Daniel chapter number four without thinking of schizophrenia. Uh, one moment he is head of the kingdom, he is lord of the realm. One moment he is the great emperor and the king. The next morning he's naked in the, in the naked in a field. He thinks he's a wild animal. Completely loses his mind. Has a complete psychic break. And for seven years, um, his uh, court is taken care of by the court itself, and he is hidden from the court, as it were, or from the nation, uh, and nations, as it were, as having uh, this mental break, something happened to him. And you can read the story, um, and I, at some point in the series, might actually use it as a context, but a modern modern diagnosis would be some form of schizophrenia uh, that he had. Um, the Bible doesn't hide the story from us. Um, one cannot imagine the Apostle Paul Uh, remembering the death of people that he rallied the crowd against. And he now thinks of them as great Christians. How would you feel if you had killed somebody who you thought was a great person? How would you feel? You can't think about this without considering the downstream effects of post-traumatic stress disorder. You can't think about Elijah asking God to kill him while he hides Uh, without thinking about clinical depression. One cannot listen to Martha bless her sister out in Luke chapter number 10 without thinking of anxiety and an anxiety attack. And one cannot go anywhere in the book of Psalms without having every human emotion, good and bad, beat you about the head, neck, and shoulders, and blast you off the page. So we Christians pretend like mental health isn't a thing, uh, and we pretend like what you really need to do is run another lap, and that'll make you right, or uh, you need to get out in the aisle, and sometimes you need those things because they represent a break of your own solution and a full surrender by action to what God could do in you. One of the reasons why we have altars is because of the opportunity for you to have an action step, a break in your little package of solutions. You come to the altar because you know what you've done? You've just had a break in your little package of solutions. And by that actual step forward, it is a type of confession by action. I need your help. If you're sick, call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint you with oil. <laughs> (laughs) Set aside your solution package and submit yourself to Almighty God. (laughs) Actions, worship services prayer times. All of that is good, and yet oftentimes, let's just be real, forgive me in advance if I'm distressing any of you here, and um, I was going to say forgive me if I'm distressing any of you out, of, out there, um, but um, some of the people out there, maybe I need to distress, and some of the people in here, maybe I need to distress, and if you're just watching to criticize, God bless you, we love you, hope you stub your toe, but no more, just your toe. Now, it was funny. Uh, anyway, moving along. <laughs> what is the difficulty of admitting uh, that we can be sick in our mind and in our habits? Yes. What is the difficulty of doing so? We, we feel like uh, because we have... Uh, begun a walk of faith with God, um, there should be no problems going on in our life. Furthermore, our society, even in the realm of unbelievers, has a quiet, how shall I say, a quiet prejudice against anyone who has been too open about uh, issues of mental health. And the truth is, you can have all the same problems that you would have in anything. You can have in uh, your physical brain, and it's out of that physical brain that the mind emerges. And you cannot uh, have your, your brain, the physical brain, uh, in some way damaged without it affecting Everything else in your life. Uh, so I want to be a little bit risky in this series. I want to be honest about um, what about this subject, and I want to preach about it because I don't see many people uh, doing it, and I think it is one of the great unspoken problems in the context of a church uh, and the church community at large. How do we as believers uh, live, deal? heal, overcome from mental health issues. First of all, we have one option is to pretend like it doesn't apply to us. I know lots of um, religious people who have chosen that option to pretend like it doesn't apply to us. Uh, on the other hand, um, we can pretend like the church has nothing to say there. Uh, just as I have been somewhat at times critical of uh, the mental health profession, let me, be, um, let me be honest about some of the weaknesses of the church response. Um, we can believe that um, if, as long as you need a pick me up, the church is here for that. But if you have real problems, you need to go get on drugs. Um, we, we, can, we can be erred on that, on that part. We can, we can pretend as though as long as you just need a hug and a, a blessing, then the church is here for you. But the moment you have a real issue, the Bible has nothing to say to you anymore, you need to go get medical help. Now, both of these are misconceptions. There is a fear uh, in church community that um, if we pretend to speak real mental health answers to people in the language of you oh medicine and mental health, we will have misrepresented ourselves and set ourselves up uh, for various types of legal trouble. That is a real uh, possibility. Therefore, let it be known that we speak from a biblical perspective. We do not claim medicine. We do not claim psychology. We let the Bible speak, and we have found there is no greater source. Than a biblical worldview. That's what I'm talking about here today. I think mental health issues are more uh, rampant now on, for several reasons. Um, for one reason, uh, we actually have more uh, time where we live in the space of thoughts and not in the realm of labor. Um, if you are working all day digging a ditch, you do not have energy to worry about existential angst. You be tired. (laughs) You are exhausted. You don't have time to sit around and, you know what I mean? Uh, But if you are having a life of reclining, if you're having a life of Sitting back rather than leaning forward. Uh, it's natural for you to begin to think all of these things. This is called a, a Maslow, Maslow's ladder of needs. Uh, your potential for chaos within your soul doesn't go away because you're no longer worried about food. Now you worry about what people think about you. Come on. <laughs> There's something in our brains that is prone to a certain level of chaos that must be chosen against and disciplined. And if you don't do that, your life as you are currently living it will conspire to make you more than a little bit crazy. You may worry about your job or you may worry about whether or not your neighbor made fun of your shoes, but you will worry about something. And here, we as a society have upscaled that with this phenomenon of comparing ourselves one with another, but now on social media. What do I mean by that? When I was growing up, there was the high school, say, and if you were one of the cool kids at the high school, I mean, there'd be a handful of cool kids and the rest of us nerds and um, we looked at them and we compared ourselves to them but the truth is uh, they weren't that much different than us. They're from our neighborhood. They lived our life. Uh, they didn't fly around on a private jet and holiday on a family yacht. I didn't know anybody like that and so I compared myself to them and there wasn't that much room between us if you understand what I'm saying. Nowadays, our kids grow up, they don't compare themselves to somebody who is fairly close to them. They compare themselves to somebody who won the gen- genetic lottery and is one of the most beautiful people in the whole wide world, uh, who inherited a trust fund and now is able to skate on the accomplishment of their parents and have a million, two million followers. You don't compare yourself to anybody from the same continent. You compare yourself to somebody who they have a completely different deck of cards to live from. Amen. And you feel like there's no hope for me, there's no chance for me, there's no way for me to have a good life. I'll just hide. I will, in some way, solve this distance between the life I have and the life I wish I had with a form of budding self hatred. And so now we have a a generation, you guys, to speak to our young people who are in here, uh, which is our bold uh, group. We love you guys. You guys are better versions than the rest of us. We love you. Um, That's why I had Pastor Cam up here starting out, um, is uh, because of this difficulty you face where you are tempted not to compare yourself to the kid on the football team who is slightly a little bit faster than you and maybe slightly a little bit cooler than you. No, you're comparing yourself to some virtual, Reality star who uh, has uh, arrives in a private jet and has no need to drive a car because he or she has you know people for that. It makes no sense whatsoever for you to try to judge yourself worth off of them. All you've done has set yourself up in a lose lose circumstance, and then you wonder why your life feels miserable. It's not fair. Um, So psychology comes along, and um, it makes some mistakes that I want to be honest about um, in the same manner that the church can make some mistakes. Psychology and psychiatry make some mistakes. On one hand, um, psychology uh, and psychiatry uh, pretends to understand, understand things it only has fancy names for, and it gives you a labeling system, and it makes you think it understands things that it doesn't really understand. Um, There isn't really an objective way to measure a lot of these things. And the only way they can know um, uh, something about you is to ask you how you feel. And how you answer the questions of how you feel determines exactly, interestingly, first of all, how you actually feel. I should explain. Um, There have been multiple tests done of people um, in uh, psychological studies. It goes like this. If you use a harsher word to describe an emotion you are feeling, instead of being slightly irritated, you say, I am furiously angry, the actual physiological response in your body changes with the word you use. So if your life is terrible, it feels more terrible than it actually is. Because you've upregulated your perception by the label with which you have defined something. This it my opinion. This is just tests done in uh, the field. Uh, so when you are now I- being helped in these situations, you are in this, watch, negative feedback loop where an uh, individual who is trying to help you, they are trying to help you, the only way they know how to help you is to ask you, they ask you how you feel. So you decide to describe how you feel. And so to describe how you feel, you choose a word, which causes you to feel things you actu- actually weren't feeling before you chose that word. And this loop begins. And the doctor's goal is to get you to change that loop. They want to first understand it, and then they want to try to help you change it. A psychologist is going to try to do it by talking to you and changing the way you think and self-talk about that issue. A psychiatrist may do that somewhat, but a psychiatrist has the ability to begin to experiment various uh, psychotropic drugs um, on you. Now, let's let's talk about drugs a little bit here. Um, uh, some churches have a absolutely cut and dried response to um, drugs and usage of drugs. I should uh, hear try to explain something by using this uh, wonderful illustration I have here. Let's let's talk about drugs. You see my pillow here? That's if you get bored, you can take a nap. And you see my hammer there? That's if I catch you napping, I can wake you up. Um, so um, if you're uh, in a situation where you need to try uh, a drug, um, your psychiatrist will try to find a drug that fits your profile. There isn't really tests for this them to do in the sense of brain chemicals. Now we can test brain chemicals in situ, um, but it's not as though they have a blood pressure test for your ki- brain chemicals. Uh, we know that's how it works. Your brain is a chemical computer of sorts. Um, but the point being here is that to a doctor, the only way they can help you in terms uh, of fixing this mental health is to try various types Types of psychotropic drugs in uh, your personal experience. So if all I have is a... Then everything looks like a... Yeah. Is there anyone who would like to come put their hand on the table? And let me try to hit between their fingers with this. So to a doctor, the only thing they have to try to help you, and they're not bad people because of this, because there's a lot of good that has been done, but we can miss how powerful these drugs are. These drugs can change you in unexpected ways, and once you start them, you have to trust your doctor because you have changed what you're doing in your chemical computer. And I don't want anyone to hear this today and think, oh, I'm just going off whatever drug I'm on. This is what I want to say in this issue. Remember, we're trying to have a nuanced view here. Um, your doctor might be a better judge of what you need to go on and off of than you are because they are observing at second hand what you are feeling. And the fact that you are feeling And not observing means there is a very low chance that you see the whole picture. And so I don't want anyone to take this to mean that if you're on a medication, you should rush out and go off of it. Medications can be great helps. Now, if you're on medications, it's not going to feel like a hammer. This is what it's like to the doctor. Everything is uh, nail. I can't sleep at night. Can't get out of the house. Can't keep a job. Can't pay attention in school. I'm having fun with this. (laughs) All right. It's not going to feel like it when you're the one taking the drugs. The drugs is going to feel like this. Here's your life. Here's your feelings. Here's your emotions. And here comes the drugs. Um, Here's my life. Here's my emotions, here's my feelings. Is that all bad? Not necessarily. The truth is, you may have circumstances that you won't, it's too raw. Imagine having to pick up a box with your eyeballs. Why can't you do that? Besides the lack of thumbs. Your eye is too sensitive. Imagine trying to clean the house with the, if you took the nerves out of your eye and put them in your hands. And you're trying to, I was going to pick this up, but you can do nothing. So if you have uh, serious mental health issues, it might be, it might be, that the drug can put a pillow between you and the pain. So I want you to see that in some circumstances and with careful, appropriate care, a uh, medical profession professional may help you in uh, facing something. However, the goal of the scripture is not to get you to cope Coping is what the doctor is going to try to do. The Bible wants you to be changed. The goal of the church is not to help you cope. It may help you cope, but that's not the goal. The goal is spiritual healing. So at its worst, psychology is over-prescribed and over-diagnosed um, th- at its worst. It, at its best, it can help people. But psychology is very much a science of um, opinion and judgment, less more an art than a science, should I say. So every uh, major psychological condition that is out there, I want to go over some of them so you can understand what is is uh, my point I'm trying to say here. Um, let's let's talk about uh, some of them. Let's talk first about, about a major depressive disorder characterized by persistent feelings of sadness, hopelessness, and a lack of interest or pleasure in ordinary daily activities. Uh, anxiety disorder, this is a condition such as generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, social anxiety disorder, specific phobias involving uh, unreasonable excessive fear or worry. Uh, More serious conditions like schizophrenia, uh, a mental disorder uh, described by disturbances in thinking, emotions, and behavior, and leading an individual to have impaired, sometimes absurd, um, uh, mental functioning in their social lives, in their occupational lives. Um, Bipolar disorder, huge mood swings from um, uh, depressive lows that are unrealistic and uh, absurd to manic highs that are unrealistic and absurd, Uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, persistent unwanted thoughts, and repetitive behaviors or mental acts, compulsions. You cannot stop with that unwanted thought. Post-traumatic stress disorder developed and experience um, after a very traumatic event, leading to intrusive memories, nightmares, and heightened to anxiety, attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder, eating disorders, um, from anorexia to bulimia to binge eating. I think I have that one. um, And uh, unhealthy eating patterns, uh, distorted body image. This can get very dangerous because you can come, come to believe something about your body image that will cause you to choose death over life. And it is uh, it is such a self deception and a pain painful thing to see because sometimes it's quite uh, attractive people who have uh, this body image disorder that is causing them to choose a living death and ultimately a dying death over life and this is something I'd like to say particularly to uh, you young people um, be be careful uh, deciding whether or not uh, how shall I say this. Um, Uh, be be careful deciding whether or not you think you're beautiful. Because the world wants to compare you to an ideal and if I look like that, them, then I'm beautiful. As As if everybody in the world wants that. God has not made us like that. There is somebody who will think you are the cat's Meow. Can I get a better amen than that? We have Young people, hear me. You have to get out this idea of if I think I am pretty enough or beautiful enough or I'm ugly, no one's going to want me. I promise you this. There are people who want the exact thing you are. Yes. You're going to find that group and you're going to date in that group and it's going to be okay. Yes. I want you to believe that. Because the deceiver will come into your life and the deceiver will say, no one is going to want you. Come on. on. No one is into you. This is such a problem at lower lower ages, particularly in school. It's okay if I linger here for a moment. I just want to talk about this. Um, Because someone... Something happened to you in, in junior high, high school, and maybe a group of cruel kids made fun of you for uh, something or, or something uh, they liked or didn't like or they twisted to make a joke out of. Um, I, I, I want you to know uh, that, uh, like, for example, I'll pick on my son. My son recently had a haircut accident. And, uh, he wanted to tell them himself. So he did. And he, they cut it. He said, I wanted all the same link. So they buzzed it right off. And, uh, y'all don't tell him I told you this. And when I came out from what my haircut, he was in the farthest corner of the waiting room. He was like over in the wall looking at his phone. And I said, well, do you like your haircut? And he said, dad, his words. He said, I look like the protagonist in a 1999 anti-bullying video. <laughs> Is that not a brilliant assessment of oneself? He said, his words, I have a square jaw and a buzz cut. I said, are your friends going to make fun of you? He said, yes. So someone made fun of you, and you think... Well, "Let me First of all, let me just talk since I've got the young people in here. Um, when, uh, when you're in school, but until you get to college, oftentimes people are not honest about what they like. They won't tell people what they like because they don't want to be made fun of. Yeah. And just because the, the, the two jerks and seven nerds didn't like something about you... Forgive me for using that language. I just was in a the mood. Um, they didn't like something about you... <laughs> The truth is, when you get to college, you're going to find out you wouldn't deign to date two thirds of them. That's right. You don't know what your value is. So don't let hell come along and tell you you don't have any value. Um, and so uh, these uh, these back back to this these these issues. So uh, all of these things are going on in our life, and our mind is going through the good and the bad, and we are experiencing the good and the bad. We have good years, bad years. Sometimes we have nice things. Sometimes we're the poor kid. I I, I grew up walking to school, and I was on uh, I I dreaded every day at lunch because I was on the free lunch list because my parents didn't make enough money, and they would make fun of us poor kids because we had to go over and get get, a, get the free lunch. And um, you know what? It's okay. You know why it's okay? Because I met some of those people and things turned out really well for me. <laughs> I'll make it a joke. <laughs> what am I trying to say? What am I trying to say? The world is always compressing you. Sometimes you're on top, sometimes you're on bottom. Sometimes you're the hammer, sometimes you're the nail. It's okay. And so um, as as Uh, believers as Christians uh, and more, I, I believe the most important thing for a person to do um, is revealed to us in the worldview and the framework of the scripture and I 'm going to say it like this uh, the Bible has a much more a much more nuanced view of your human experience than any drug a doctor can prescribe you I'm not saying drugs can't help they can I'm not saying be reckless with your with those drugs they all they all in the proper place are uh, can be beneficial but um, psychology can complement the issue, and they can try a drug for everything, and what's really going on in your life is you have adopted an unhealthy, inaccurate view of yourself and an unhealthy, inaccurate view of the world at large. And because of that, they're going to, rather than help you see the truth, what was it Jesus said? The truth shall make you free, set you free. Rather than that, they're going to cover up the reality of a change you need to make by burying you under a drug that keeps you from feeling something you could have been victorious over. As a church, we don't want to pretend that there's no help uh, for people in professional care. Uh, let me just point out something that my wife mentioned to me uh, last week that I thought was so helpful after the service. She said, as Christians, sometimes we, we we fall into this belief system that there's only two answers. It's either I'm not going to the doctor at all, and if I can't get, uh, you know, run the aisles, shout my hair down on Sunday, then I'm just going to die unhappy. Uh, that's one hand. On the other hand, we can act like, "Oh, the church doesn't deal with that." Go to a doctor and get yourself a little prescription. This is not accurate in either case. The truth is, the word of God is not just a church truth, but comes into all of our life. And good people who believe God can have serious problems that they have to have professional care with. Yes. 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 Uh, Every so often, you'll hear a story, uh, uh, it's not very often, but you'll hear a story about a a pastor who shocked his congregation by actually, uh, in spite of all the ministry and all the years, the pastor actually uh, being the one who committed uh, suicide. Uh, And when that happens, it seems to shake the whole community because here's someone who claimed to have an answer, and uh, they themselves uh, fell prey to the worst possible solution, which is not a solution. Um, How does this happen? Well, all biblical truths must be lived, not simply quoted. All biblical truths must be lived and not simply quoted. I know people who can quote half the Bible, and they're the biggest crooks I know. (laughs) I know people who will make they'll talk to tongues loudest person in the church every time someone spiritual sits beside them, but they in their life they they are a nonstop mess. It's not quite as simple as our pretend games oftentimes makes it. And so what I want to do and um, try to this this message is kind of an introduction to this series I'm doing on a biblical approach to mental health entitled A Sound Mind. Um, I want to give you biblical principles, and I want to say, first of all, that the uh, psychological community oftentimes will label things it doesn't understand, and the label will make you think it understands, and then they will hide behind that label because no one wants to say, look, we don't have a clue. Um, and it will oftentimes overdiagnose thi- uh, diagnose things as though it's better to not s- feel it than it is to solve it is that too much I would like to give you a biblical approach to these things. If if the answer of uh, medicine is everything needs a drug solution to it, um, I want to back up from that, and I want to tell you that the Bible actually is much more nuanced than you would ever imagine on the subject of the care of our souls and the healing of our minds. The Bible is much more nuanced than you think. You probably have in your mind that the church is just a bunch of simpletons and they just get there and you know pray to Santa Claus on high and maybe get what they want. I, I want you to know that's because uh, you don't know the Bible. That's why you have that view. and you're judging the Bible by a few Christians you met on Facebook. Come on. I wasn't expecting a lot of amens when I decided to preach this message, so I'm okay without getting a whole lot of amens. The Bible has a ton of depth, nuance, and care speaking truth to the chaos of the human condition in a manner greater than any philosopher I have ever read. In fact, to understand what the Bible is trying to say, you could not find one philosopher It is as though a philosopher is feeling one part of the elephant, saying the elephant to me feels like a trunk. And someone else is saying, no, the elephant feels like a tree. The Bible is so rich and so deep that I would like to say as a believer, the first thing I want to do in my life and the first thing I would recommend you do in your life, when I am aware my mind is troubled and I am in an unhealthy place, is to back up and ask myself, what beliefs am I living? Because the Bible gives you beliefs to live, truths to live. And if you will do that, you will find a much more healthy way of being. Secondly... The Bible does not give... The first point was the Bible is much more nuanced than you would ever believe. In fact, the Bible is more nuanced than any philosopher you could ever read. Uh, the second thing I would say is the Bible is not afraid to leave mystery in the answer it gives. Why is mystery so important? Because the moment you pretend like life doesn't have mystery, you in my opinion increase your risk of mental health problems by a very large number. Let me say it this way. There's stuff is going to happen and you're not going to know why. Yes. Troubles are going to and you're not going to know why. And if you would like to be crazy, you could beat your life, your head, your family against the question of why me? But there's no peace there. Right. Right. In this area specifically, I think philosophers from the East are a little bit uh, better than Western philosophers because what Western philosophers have given us as children of the Enlightenment is intellectualism. And intellectualism is the art of talking accurately about things you understand quite literally not at all. This is the role of labels. And so, intellectualism will reduce everything to a calculus. It will reduce it to a formula that if you do this, that shouldn't happen. Uh, This is not how life is experienced. Life is not experienced as a formula, life is experienced like chaos that must be brooded over. And the first image of the divine spirit in the scripture is the Spirit brood, the Spirit of God brooding over the chaos and saying, "Let there be." Um, so uh, the Bible is unique in that. It is uh, able to give you the way and leave mystery in it. The best example, I think, of this idea of mystery is a Western philosopher will have you come up with a very precise way of thinking. An Eastern philosopher will tell you a story to which there isn't an answer, but you should think about. A Western philosophy will tell you a name for what you are feeling. An Eastern philosopher will tell you a story that doesn't have an answer, but if you'll think about it, in the East, they call it. They call this a cone, and it's a it's a story that uh, makes no sense. But there is an unexpected benefit to you wrestling with it. What is the sound of one hand clapping? That's a cone. Um, it, uh, huh? Um, it is a little bit of truth with a whole lot of mystery. Now, what does the Bible do? We we we're, we're trying to be biblical, not western or eastern. The Bible in the same manner gives you a question. No, let me say it differently. It gives you truth with the par- with mystery still in it. We just call it a parable. It is truth And it's not absurd like a cone. What's the sound of one hand clapping? That's absurd. But maybe there's a benefit of you thinking about it. It gives you a different kind of story. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure in the field. Can you understand that? Yes, I can understand that. Is there still lots of mystery in it? Yes. Do you see how the Bible is more nuanced and it gives you a path to truth while refusing to deny mystery? This is why there is no book better in all the story of humanity to build your life upon, even from the understanding of mental health, than the worldviews of the Word of God. (laughs) So let me try to wrap this up by giving you six principles that will directly affect. I'm trying to figure out how many fingers to hold up. Six principles. <laughs> you try preaching. Anyway, moving on. Six principles. Six principles. <laughs> Ooh, I missed some of you up there. Why six? Well, the Bible, I had to pick a number, and the Bible gives six as the number of mankind, and so we're going to go with six. Uh, There's more we could derive, but I think after spending a a lot of time thinking about this subject, uh, more than normal, (laughs) thinking about this subject and repeatedly asking myself, what would a biblical Path to mental health look like? What would a biblical path to mental health look like? If I can define it correctly and if I can say it truthfully, I make it help somebody. I want to give you a biblical path to mental health. The first principle of the Word of God that speaks into your life that if you fail to get this will have mental health consequences is this. You are body and spirit. You are not just body. You are body and spirit. A philosopher would call this the mind-body problem. Uh, Are you just a body, or is there a mind above that body? The Bible teaches you are a bipartite. um, uh, In other words, body and spirit. I know you can also include soul, but for time's sake, we're just going to stick with the materialism versus the dualism uh, and move quickly along, because I still have a ways to go here. You are body Body and spirit. Let me say it differently. You have in your experience a sense of both temporal time and eternity. You will be tempted to live your life and understand your life in time and yet having done your worst or done your best you will still feel within an echo of eternity and the moment you begin to live as though all you have is time and this is the end 70 odd years and then you pass 80 or 90 odd years and then you go if you begin to live that way there will be mental health consequences because you are more than a body you have a body you are not a body you have a body what you are is a soul or you could say spirit however you use the language that is what you are what you have is a body If you throw that away, you will have downstream mental health consequences, and you will try to seek meaning uh, through the body, and you will try to seek purpose uh, through the body, and you are more than that. You will be like the rich man in the scripture who tries to comfort his soul by saying, I have built more barns. You are safer than you've ever been. And God says, Thou fool, this night. your soul is required of you you cannot comfort your soul with the things of the flesh second principle. You have a divinely apportioned creative purpose that must find meaning. If you fail to do that, nothing else will satisfy you. You have a uniqueness to you. God knew that when he made you, and he is inviting you to use every venue of your life to pursue your unique creativity, even your career, even your business, uh, even your ordinary life, you should pursue it. There's things you should let blossom and bloom in your life, and God gets glory from it. That's why the Scripture says, let everything you do in word or deed all be for the glory of God. You have a creative purpose and a meaning. However, here's the mystery. Young people, listen to me. For much of your life, your wants and lusts will pretend to be your meaning. And you won't know that was a trick until you're in your 30s and your 40s and your life is full of regrets. Yes. Your wants and your lusts are not your meaning. You are a soul. You have a body. You are not a body that has a soul. Third principle, your value must be built on something more enduring than yourself you are going to pass away. Your value has to connect to the soulfulness of your being, not the temporal nature of your being. Your soul can only be comforted by connecting to something more enduring than yourself. Here is the mystery. However, for much of your life, you will be tempted to look to your peers for your value the error being that you have forgotten they are just as short-lived as you are. You won't figure that out until late in your years that it didn't really matter. If you fail to understand this, there is downstream mental health consequences. Number four, this is a big one. Evil is real. It must be acknowledged and it must be rejected. Yeah evil is real, it must be acknowledged, and it must be rejected. I must see that I am capable of being the source of evil in the world. I must repent from my evil, and I must choose to add goodness to the world, and patience to the world. Here is the mystery. If I refuse, let's be honest, it's much easier to see evil in other people than it is to see evil in yourself. Uh, but here's the, the mystery of it all. If I do not see evil's potential in myself, that means I am, it necessitates me to live a life of self-deception where the only way I can face myself is to continually repeat a lie that I am all good and it's the world that is all bad. I will have mental health consequences if I cannot admit that evil exists and must be repented of and rejected. Fifth fifth principle. If you, because you are a spirit being, you are never alone, not really. Because you are a spirit being, you are never alone, not really. However, you will always feel alone because all of your senses are in the realm of the flesh you will never be alone but you will always feel alone you will feel like nobody understands you'll feel like nobody sees you'll feel like nobody cares if you cannot see that your world exists in spirit and in body, and your existence is like a, a, scythe, a scything blade through both worlds. If you cannot see that, you will look to the feelings in your flesh and you will let it be the final words to your being in the spirit. And as a result, you will have mental health consequences. Last principle all truths about yourself will be experienced as emotion, not knowledge. All truths will be experienced as emotion and not knowledge. However, that emotion will feel more valid and more authentic than any knowledge anyone could ever give you. If you cannot see this, there are downstream long-term mental health consequences. So, let me wrap up. Again, I've got too much material. I'll have to deal with more of this later. But I want to give you a biblical mental health plan. Musicians, you can come and maybe play a song, something like, You're Not As Crazy As You Think You Are. Um, I think that would be a good song for you to play today. You're not crazy as you think you are. You just live with crazy people all day long. Might be that other people are crazier than you. Now I'm in trouble all day long. Hallelujah, let's all just bless the Lord. <laughs> this is a real biblical mental health plan. Are you ready for number one? Yes. yes. Oh, that was pretty weak. Are you ready for number one? Yes. Yes. You're not gonna like it. But it's so good. Step number one of the mental health plan. (laughs) Humble yourself. You ain't nobody. Mm. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. God is in heaven. You are on earth. Let your words be few. Humble yourself. Not everyone's going to like me. It's okay. I'm not special. Not everyone's going to approve of me. It's okay. I wasn't born with a gold spoon in my mouth. I'm going to have to get up early and go to work. It's okay. I have a healthy body. So I asked her out and she said no. Well, lucky for me, 50.001% of the whole world is women. (laughs) I'm not too good to get dumped. Don't get any ideas. (laughs) One of the most important things you can do for your mental health is just humble yourself. Life's hard. There's going to be tough days. It doesn't mean your mama didn't love you. Step number one for a mental plan, a biblical mental health plan, humble yourself. Now let's push it spiritually. Humbling myself means there's things I do not know, and it's okay. I can give things to the Lord. Yes. Oh, some of y'all need to grab a hold of that. You need to put that right in the in your spirit. You need to put that on a magnet on the refrigerator door of your life. There are some things I don't know. It's okay, I give them to God. There's some things I wish I could have changed. It's okay, I give them to God. Yes. I humble myself second step of a mental health plan, biblically speaking. Are you ready for this? Repent. I've done things wrong. Don't you feel the weight begin to lighten in your spirit? I haven't been a perfect pastor. I haven't been a perfect husband. It's okay. I'm sorry. And the weight goes down. I repent because I'm capable of getting things wrong. I repent because whether or not my judgment was correct, I never had a malevolent heart. I never wanted to hurt. I just was ignorant. (laughs) And so I repent. I repent. I repent. Why is it that all of the programs to help people overcome damage in their past or addictions in their present, it all involves some sort of saying I'm sorry. Because you want to lose a lot of psychological weight? (laughs) Apologize. I repent. Here is repentance. I have the capacity to do evil. I have done evil in the past. I'm sorry. I have hurt people in the past. I'm sorry. I have the capacity. I can hurt more people. I can harm more people. But today, I live out this repentance. I'm not going that way. I turn away from that. And I choose to try and make my journey better. I repent. I repent. Thirdly, I choose to speak life. I understand. This is biblical. I understand my words have a certain power to them. I understand that if I go through life cursing, I am the recipient of curses. But if I go through life blessing, uh, I am the recipient of blessings. And it's so true that even when you try to curse me, I will bless you back because I want the return boomerang of blessing in my life. I speak hope. I speak life. I speak blessing. So what have I done? I've humbled myself. I've repented from what I'm capable of and what I've done. I choose to speak God's promise. I choose to speak God's word. What's the fourth step for a biblical health plan? I I bring my thoughts into discipline. I don't let every thought in my head have the same amount of mic time. I can't always control who shows up, but I can control who gets the mic. And so I bring my mind into subjection. I identify thoughts that are bringing death to my inner self. And I identify the lies that are making me feel like I want to give up, like there's no point in trying. I identify the serpent in the garden. The serpent is not outside the garden. Wouldn't it be great if you could get the negative thoughts out of your life? No, the serpent is inside the garden. You have to handle serpents differently because you can't keep them out of your gardens. You handle them by not giving them mic time. You don't talk to them. You say, this is not the place for you. Get out of my, if you resist the devil, he will. I discipline my thoughts. The next thing, I mistrust my emotions. I mistrust my emotions. My emotions are going to tell me there's no hope, that the promises of God are going to say, trust me, stand and see the salvation of the Lord. My emotions are going to say there's more with them than there are with us. The word of the Lord is going to say, uh, open his eyes and let him see the heavenly host that encamps around them that trust in him. If I don't learn to mistrust my emotions, I'm not living a Biblical plan for mental health. Next, I seek my highest good. And I do it by identifying the highest good. We exalt God as the highest good. We exalt Him as the most beautiful image of hope. We praise Him because He is our creator and He is also our sacrificial lamb. He is the lion of the tra- Every good and perfect gift that cometh down from the Father of life. What am I talking about? I see my my greatest ideal in Jesus Christ. I must seek that. He did not say simply cheer me as I carry this cross. He said take up your cross. Oh, oh. Y'all just say yay as I go by with my cross. Yay! No! Pick up your cross. Seek your highest good. How do I join God in making a broken world whole? Next principle, there's only two left. Number one, I surrender to his way. I surrender my dream of self-exaltation, for His way of spiritual purpose and calling. This is a biblical plan for mental health. I surrender. I don't fight with God. I say, I would like this, I would like that, sure. But nevertheless, not my will, but Thy will be done. I surrender. You want to feel the weight falling off of your life? Think of the pressure points in your life. What hurts so much that if I touched it, you would flinch, cry, run, or slap me? What hurts so much in your life right now that if I walked up and patted you on that pain, you would you would curse me seven ways from a sailor. What is it? What is it? You've got something that hurts. You dream about it. You wake up and you're sweating in the bed. It hurts. That is what you surrender to God. You say, Lord, I I don't know how this happened. I know evil is real. And both myself and others can author evil. We can birth evil into the world. And that evil hurts us. I don't know why it happened to me. I don't know. I I, I, I don't know. I'm given the whole thing to you. And the weight comes off. And the spinal column relaxes. (laughs) And the compressed nerves. I I surrender and finally the last step biblical plan for mental health I worship I don't have an answer you're my answer I give it to you I don't know what is to come but I trust you with it This is a biblical plan Mental health. Stand with me across the house. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I wonder if we could have a moment of real, authentic vulnerability before the presence of the Lord. If I've preached to you today and you need to hear these words, I want you to confess that in the presence of the Lord by raising your hands all across the house. All across the house. That's right. Now pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, let me live out this that I have learned. Let me live out biblical truths. Let me choose the biblical path. Let me walk in your way. Let my mind be whole. You have not given me a spirit of fear, but of power power and of love and of a sound mind come on say it with me right now you have not given me a spirit of fear but of power and love and a sound mind i pray over the seat of emotions that's in every individual here i pray over the thought processes that can be very unhealthy that can be very dysfunctional And I pray that there would be new strength as we choose to live God's way. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you'll help others find our free podcast